Well, good morning. Hope you guys had a happy new year and uh, appreciate that you take time out of your New Year's weekend, even though it's like, it's still the weekend. So it's like New Year doesn't really start till tomorrow, but even so, appreciate you guys coming and hanging out with us this morning. Uh, this morning as we begin, I want to tell you a story about our most memorable New Year's ever. And thankfully it wasn't this year, but it was actually last year from 2020 going into 2021 was for my family, our most memorable New Year's ever. Um, so to give you kind of a little bit of information of what happened then, how many people there or how many people here have ever ridden a hoverboard? Raise your hand. Anybody? A handful. Now, how many people over the age of 30 have ever ridden a hoverboard? One? I, I think we have one person. All right, two. I, my hand's up too. Um, so last year for Christmas, or tw uh, 2020 for Christmas, the Christmas right before that, our niece and nephew, Nate and Haley, got hoverboards for Christmas. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a kid's toy slash vehicle where it's like a sideways skateboard, and you like stand on it, and it's motorized, and you kind of control the wheels based on how you lean and stuff like that. And it's kind of cool. So they got them for Christmas. And so from Christmas to New Year's, naturally, all the adults basically took them and were playing with them. And so we were playing with them, and everyone was kind of doing OK with it. And what I discovered is they're actually pretty easy to ride, but they're incredibly difficult to get on and off of. And I, I still don't really understand how, because you have to, basically, if you put weight on one side, that wheel will go. So like, if you're getting on and off, you're, of course, only having weight on one side. So every time getting on and off, we'd fall. I'd fall, others would fall. It, it was, I could never figure out how to get on and off, but riding it was no big deal. So fast forward a few days to New Year's Eve, we're over at their house for New Year's, and it's still early in the night, probably like six or seven o'clock, and my wife, Brittany, she's riding one of the uh, hoverboards, and she was riding it just fine, like zooming up, uh, up and down the house and stuff like that, and then she goes to get off, and because getting off is impossible, she falls. Now, we'd all fallen at times, so it wasn't as big a deal, but when she fell, she, it kind of went out from under her, and she fell backwards and hit her head on the wall behind her. So both me and her mom, who was there as well, ru rush over to her. We're like grabbing her head. We're like, are you okay? Are you okay? And she's like pointing to her wrist. She's like, it's my wrist. It's my wrist. We're like, who cares about your wrist? You hit your head. She's like, who cares about my head? It's my wrist. And so we're going back and forth. And finally, she's like, my wrist, it's killing me. So we get her to the couch and we start icing it and, we, and she can't really move it. She's like, should we go to the, um, the hospital ER or whatever on New Year's Eve night? And she's like, let's just wait till the morning. Let's see if the swelling goes down and stuff like that. So we wait till the morning. Terrible New Year's. She didn't get an ounce of sleep. She's just in pain all night. So the next morning, we're like, okay, it's time to go to the doctor. She's like, ah, I don't know. Let's, let's wait another day or so, see if it goes down. So we ended up waiting until January 3rd. And by January 3rd, she still can't move it, still in a ton of pain. We're like, okay, enough is enough. It's doctor time. So we went, got an x-ray. Lo and behold, she had broke her wrist in three places. She had broken three bones in her wrist. So... Great start to the new year, right? It's like, no matter what you want to do with your new year, no matter if you're a resolution person or not, or if you're a goal-setting person at the beginning of the year or not, no matter what, January 1 always feels like it's time for a fresh start. Like, it always feels good. It's always time to do something new. And no matter what her goals for the year were, resolutions for the year, starting the year off, breaking your wrists, having to go through a bunch of physical therapy, doing all these things, was just not the way she wanted to start the new year. We had a, our son at the time, he had just turned one a few months before, and the doctor told her, she's like, you can't hold any more than like two pounds or something like that, or five pounds with either hand. We're like, well, that's ridiculous. We have a baby. But, but still, she couldn't really hold him as much as she wanted to, and he didn't understand that, obviously, so he wanted to be held. She wanted to hold him. Everybody's crying. Like, it just, it, it, it was a mess. Thankfully, she, she healed from it. She went through therapy. Everything is good. And this year, we had our New Year's, no broken bones, no hospital visits. We are good. Um, but regardless, last year where we were, regardless of what she wanted to do with her New Year's, she had to rethink it starting January 1st. Everything changed January 1st. 
And so that's what I want to challenge us with this morning. This morning is we're looking at this new year, whether you're a resolution-setting person or not, whether you're a goal-setting person or not, I want to challenge us to look at this new year in a little bit of a different way and to look at how we can spend this new year focused on God instead of focusing on ourselves. Uh, so this morning we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. So if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up. Uh, if, you have, if you don't have one, there's a black one and one of the seatbacks in front of you. Uh, and, and the page number for that black Bible is up on the screen. We're going to be in De- uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at this, this prayer. That is, it's, it's a command and a prayer that's given to the Israelites in Deuteronomy. So as you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of context for what we're reading this morning. Uh, Deuteronomy, it's the, it's the fifth book in the Bible. It's the last book of the Torah. And basically what had happened so far, a little two-second recap of what's going on in the story so far, we have the Israelites, who are God's chosen people, and they were enslaved and in bondage in the book of Exodus. And we read about God delivering them from that bondage. And they, they escape Egypt, and they wander in the desert for a long time. And long story short, they turn away from God time and time and time again. That God continually holds up his end of the deal, holds up his promise, protects them, but they don't hold up their end, and they continually turn away from God. And so what we find is that they end up, God had this promised land, this land that was promised to the Israelites, and this previous generation had disqualified themselves from entering it. And so as we get in Deuteronomy, what Deuteronomy is, it's, it's basically recapping the story so far. It's basically, it's, this is Moses, this is a series of speeches from Moses to this new generation of Israelites, kind of recapping the previous generation, recapping what's happened so far, and then warning them and telling them how they can uh, act in a way that is not going down the same path as their parents did. So in the previous chapter, in chapter 5, we got Moses giving the Ten Commandments again. And then in chapter 6, we're going to pick up today, Moses gives us what's become known as the Shema. And what this is, is it's this prayer that's been prayed in the Jewish faith ever since then. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read through it, and then we're going to come back to it. We're going to read through it a handful of times this morning, but we're going to talk about how we can actually embody this and how we can live this out in our lives today. So we're starting in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1. The first few verses are kind of an introduction to what we're reading. So starting in Deuteronomy 6, verses 1, this is Moses talking, and he says this. He says, This is the command, the statutes and ordinances, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, so that you may follow them in the land you're about to possess. So Moses is telling them that, he is, that, that God has commanded him to teach him these things. And then he continues in verse 2. He says, Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands I am giving you, your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. So Moses is just telling them the importance of what he's teaching them, basically saying, pay attention. You need to listen to what I'm about to tell you. Then we get to verse 4. This starts what's become known as the Shema. Verse 4 and 5, it says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So these two simple little verses have become known as the Shema, and there's even still to this day, they're prayed daily in the Jewish faith. And if we continue reading in verse 6 through 9, Moses kind of continues and tells us the importance, of the, uh, the importance of these two verses, why these two verses matter, what we should do with them. In verse 6, he says, These words I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So you can see from these verses how important this is to Moses and to God. He's telling them, repeat these words. Don't just listen, don't just hear what I'm saying, but repeat them. Repeat them to yourselves. Memorize them. Repeat them to your children. 
uh, think about them constantly. Make them a part of your daily life. He says, make it, he says, let them be a symbol on your forehead. Other, this is the translation we read. Other translations say between your eyes. And what he's saying is this, this principle, these words, they should guide the action and vision of every part of your life. Everything you do as followers of God should be guided by this principle of making the Lord your God, uh, of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And what's interesting is this isn't just a command uh, given to the Israelites alone. If we look in the New Testament, we actually see Jesus repeating this. We actually see it repeated a few different times in the New Testament, but specifically in the book of Mark. Uh, if, you're, if you're new to New City right now, we're right in the middle of a study through the book of Mark, which we're going to pick up with next, uh, next Sunday, which we took a break from over Christmas. But if we look a little further in the book, we aren't quite there yet, so a little bit of a spoiler alert of what's about to come. If we look at Mark chapter 12, these few verses will be up on the screen. We see Jesus, he's talking to the scribes and some of the religious leaders, and they're asking him questions, and he's answering them. And then if we look in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, it says this. It says, one of the scribes approached, he approached Jesus. When he heard them debating and saw Jesus answering them well, he asked them, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no command greater than these. And if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard some, you've probably either heard these verses or heard these verses referenced. They're, they're kind of referenced pretty often, but sometimes they can get kind of boiled down to a little uh, catchphrase almost, that the most important commands from Jesus are love God and love people. And that's true. That's not false. But it, it, it kind of diminishes what Jesus is saying here. Because he's not saying love God in the same way that you love your neighbor. He's not saying love God in the same way that you love your sibling. He's saying the love that you have for God should be all-encompassing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with every fiber of your being. And love your neighbor as yourself because your neighbor is also made in the image of God. And so, and so I think that we can, these, uh, uh, these verses, we can hear them, but we need to actually hear what he's saying, what Jesus is saying here. That this is not simply just an Old Testament command to Israelites that we can read, and we can read in the Old Testament and kind of see it as a part of history, and just that's interesting. But this is a command given to believers throughout all of time. So that kind of importance, if I've, if I've convinced you of the importance of it, let's go back and read it again and see what it's actually telling us to do and what it's actually saying. So verses 4 and 5, Deuteronomy 6, says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So the first word of the Shema is, in, in English is listen, and in ancient Hebrew is Shema, which is where it gets its name. It means listen. However, this word in Hebrew has multiple meanings, and, and uh, it has multiple meanings, and is used in different ways throughout the Hebrew Bible. So when we read Shema, or when we read it here, we read listen, but when Moses would have been using it, he would, have using it, he would be uh, basically saying to both listen and obey. That the word Shema is basically saying listen, but also respond to what you're hearing. In fact, there's no ancient Hebrew word for our modern word of obey. So when you would want to tell somebody that you'll, that you'll listen to what they say, but that you'll also do what they say, you would use the word Shema. In fact, in some places of the Old Testament, you actually, hear, you actually see the phrase Shema, Shema. So he's saying, don't just hear what I'm saying. Don't just sit there. This isn't just a, just, a something, just a lecture I'm laying on you, but actually act upon what you're hearing. And it makes me think of this. I'm, I'm, one of my biggest flaws in my marriage is that I am really good at hearing, but not listening. 
I am really good at hearing the words that are said, paying attention, at least I think I am, but not actually listening to what's being said. And this played out per well, perfectly for this example, very imperfectly for real life, but about a week and a half ago, where it was over, we had a, we had a little bit of a break over Christmas, and we had gotten some gift cards for Christmas, and so we were getting uh, dinner one night, and we were getting Buffalo Wild Wings. And, we, and so we were getting like different kinds of wings, you know, you can get different flavors and stuff. And I had some things to do during the day, so I told my wife, Brittany, you know, I got some errands to run, I'll order them while I'm out and pick them up on the way home, and we'll eat at home. And, and so I asked her what she wanted, and she said, there are these two kinds I want, you know, get these two kinds and then get whatever you want for the other ones. It's like, okay, perfect, I got them. You know, we weren't in separate rooms, it wasn't her yelling to me, I heard every word she said, got under control. Went, went about my day, did my things, ordered, got home, all is good, laid it out there. And she's, you know, we're getting them out, and she looked at him, and she's like, did they not have, is mild. Mild is the, the, the other one. She's like, did they not have mild? I was like, you said you didn't want mild. She's like, no, I said I did want mild. I was like, no. And, and I, I, had, I had created this whole story in my head where I was like, no, because I, I remember you said that you like it, and I had responded that I don't really like that one, so if you want it, I'll, I'll pick it up for you, but don't, don't get it just for me. So if you want it, that's cool. And then you said, don't get it. And she's like, no. I said, okay, then get it. Like, th it was the exact opposite of what I heard. And it just, like, it, it, it blew my mind that I had, I had heard exactly what she said. I listened exactly what she said. But what I heard was the exact opposite of what was reality. And this is what kind of uh, Moses is saying here. And this is what I want us to see here. It's that listening is more than just hearing. Listening is more than just hearing. Coming to church every Sunday, sitting here, is great. It's good. It's great. I hope you do it. But it's not enough. Reading the Bible every day, you know, we're, we're in the new year. Maybe you're starting a reading through the Bible in a year or starting a reading plan today, and we're on January 2nd, so you're just like trucking through Genesis 2. <laughs> or if we're being honest, like it's still the weekend, so it starts tomorrow, right? Like that's when, that's when the reading plan starts. But reading the Bible every day, spending time in the Word is really great. It's healthy, it's good for your relationship with Jesus, but just simply reading words isn't enough. To genuinely listen to God, to hear what he has to say, means we're required to respond to him. We're not just called to hear God's Word, but we're required to respond. That's what I want us to see, is that listening also requires a response. Listening to God requires a response from us. If we've truly listened to him, it should provoke a response in us. God isn't something that we just hear, that we just read, and then we go about our day, and that's neat, and then we go about and forget about it, but it requires a response. And our response as followers of Jesus comes through worship. To follow Jesus, to truly attempt to understand him, to truly attempt to follow him, it requires a change within us. It requires us to change how we act, to change how we treat others, to change how we worship. And so what I want us to ask ourselves this morning is, what does our worship look like outside of Sunday? What does our worship look like outside of Sunday morning, right here in this room, when someone gets up on the stage and says, let's worship together? What does it look like Monday through Saturday? Do we only worship, do we only spend time with Jesus in, in, in the times that we're told to do so, or is it a priority in our lives outside of those times? So you remember Moses' instructions regarding the Shema, starting in verses 6, 6 through 9. It says, these words I'm giving you today are to be in your hearts. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let it be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. 
See, what didn't Moses say here? He didn't say these words that are be on your heart on Sundays. He didn't say that you should have the, the teachers and New City Kids repeat these words to your kids. He said this should be a part of your everyday life. This should be a part of everything that you do. In every moment, every aspect of your life, God should permeate every facet of your life. Now, if you're with me so far, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, you might be hearing that and thinking, cool, you know, I, I, I agree. I think if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you agree we should be spending more time in worship. But is any of this actually realistic? Saying we should be in constant worship. Every, it should permeate everything we do, everything that we are, every, every fiber of our being should revolve around God. That sounds good in theory, but it, does it ever actually happen? Does it ever actually happen for me? How realistic is that? I can get up here all day long and say we should be in constant worship, but how does that even happen? See, sometimes we can use phrases like this, and I think they can be harmful if we don't actually give some actual action steps of how we can take steps to making this happen. So instead of just leaving us with be in constant worship, think about God 24-7, don't let a single breath go by without uttering the name of Jesus, you are sent. Goodbye. I want to give us some things that we can do to take steps towards doing this. I want to give us a couple of things we can do to orient our year, since this is the beginning of the year, and orient each day towards Jesus. Now, before I give these couple things, these are not just two quick and easy steps to a better relationship with Jesus. These are not just two things to do to have a better year and in and out on your way. In fact, you could do the things that I'm going to mention, and your relationship with Jesus could change 0%. Because if we do these things just as empty actions, you could technically check them off a box and do them, but it's not going to mean anything. But if you want to genuinely grow closer to Jesus, then I have a couple ways that we can start this year off by doing that. Now, this is not by any means an exhaustive list. There are other things we can do as well, and these aren't the only things that matter. But I have two things, one of which, one way that we can start a year off and one way that we can start each day off. And so the way we can start off this year, Dylan mentioned a little bit earlier, is our 21 days of prayer and fasting. It starts next Monday, and it runs till the end of the month, so 21 days through the end of January. And we do this every January if you're new with us. And what this is, is we take 21 days to pray and fast as a church. And as Dylan mentioned earlier, fasting can look different for different people. We don't give a blanket. You have to do this one specific thing. But I do want to reiterate a little bit of what he said earlier. We encourage you to pick a dietary fast. In the past, we've, we've encouraged things like uh, what, what's kind of become known as a soul fast, which is generally, generally like breaks from social media, TV, things like that. And while I think those things are really good, I think they're healthy to do on a regular basis, um, my understanding of it, I don't think that really lines up with my understanding of what a fast is. Because my understanding of what a fast is, is it's taking a need, which is a f like food, removing it from our lives so that instead of depending on that thing, we depend on God. And things like social media, TV, stuff like that, it's good to take breaks from them. It's healthy to remove them from your life for a time, but that's not removing a need. And so I encourage you, whatever it is, we're not going to give a, you have to do this one thing, but if you decide to join us with this, pick a dietary fast. It can be removing a certain meal of the day every day. It can be removing a certain food group. It can be a complete fast if you're able to. But I encourage you, pick a dietary fast. Join us starting next Monday. A couple things, a couple um, little pieces of advice I'll give you when kind of looking, as we're entering in this week, going towards this fast, is as you're picking what you're going to fast from, if you decide to join us, I encourage you not to pick a fast that'll help you meet your health and fitness goals. We do this at the beginning of the year, so it's really easy to line up with, I want to get in shape at the beginning of the year, I want to lose weight, I want to get ripped, and the church is telling me to stop eating, so 
win-win, like do this and at the end of the day, get in shape. And hey, if you come out of January and you're just ripped, then good for you. But that's not the point. And so I encourage you, don't just pick something because it's going to help you meet a certain goal, but actually pick something that'll be a sacrifice and help you grow closer to Jesus. And then the last thing I'll encourage you regarding this 21 days of prayer and fasting is don't let this accidentally turn into 21 days of fasting and forget the prayer part. I've done this in the past, and it's very easy, especially if you're not someone who fasts often or if you've never done it before, it can be really easy to just be focused on the fasting part, especially this week as we're leading up to it. it can, sometimes it can be a little daunting if you've never done it before, and you're just kind of focused on, sometimes it can be painful focused on that, and you get through the whole thing, and maybe you succeeded in the fast, but realize you came out of that, and then your prayer life didn't change at all. It's, it's, it's very easy to accidentally let that happen. So I encourage you, make sure that this is 21 days of prayer and fasting, not just 21 days of fasting. If you remove a meal from your day, from, your week, from, your, uh, from these 21 days, repla- replace that meal with prayer. If you remove a food, replace that food with prayer. Make sure that your prayer life is changing over those 21 days. And this is how we can start our year off orienting our year towards Jesus. That's how we can start our year off. And then we, the, the second thing I'll give you, the way we can kind of start each day that I'll encourage you to do is to recite the Shema daily. Those few verses we read, we'll read them again in a few minutes, to recite them daily. Now, depending on the tradition you grew up in, the, the, your, your faith background, I get for some, reciting a prayer may seem weird. Maybe something you've never done before. It may seem impersonal if, you, if it's not something you have experience with. But we can see this repeated throughout the Bible. We can see Jesus and some of the apostles using this in their, in their, uh, in their um writings and in their letters, and we can see that this wasn't something that was just kind of given flippantly, but it was actually given to repeat and to memorize and to actually live out each day. And so I'm going to challenge you, even if that makes you a little uncomfortable, if you want to spend each day, if you want to start your day growing a little closer to Jesus, I'm going to encourage you to get uncomfortable. To do this, even if you think it's a little weird, to do this, even if you think it's not something you're familiar with, but to start off each day reciting this and not just reciting it as an empty phrase, but reciting it because you genuinely want this to happen in your life. At the end of the service today, we're going to give you a little, a tangible reminder to take with you that you can put on a mirror, that you can put on a place that you'll see that'll actually help you remember to do this and help you start each day focusing on Jesus instead of focusing on ourselves. So why do we do all this? If, especially if you're new to the church, if you're new to this stuff, why do we, why do we fast? Why, why are we saying don't eat for 21 days or don't eat dinner for 21 days? Or why, why are we saying, hey, repeat this prayer that was given thousands of years ago? This is all kind of weird. Why do we actually do these things? What these are is these are forms of worship. These are ways that we worship God. Worship isn't simply the time in our service when we sing. Singing is obviously part of worship, but that's not the only part. And so this word worship is thrown, a lot, thrown around a lot in church. And so if you're unfamiliar with, it, with what it is, I want to give a little definition for you. Worship is simply our response to God for who he is and what he has done. It's our way of responding to God for who he is and what he's done. We do these things in response to God, who did so much more. And what did God do? What we know is that God sent his son, Jesus, to die a literal death for you and for me, to take the the punishment uh, for our sin, to take the punishment so that we ultimately wouldn't have to that he died and rose again to offer us salvation, to offer us eternal life. And he did it not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, not because we did anything to earn it, but purely out of grace and out of mercy. 
In fact, what Jesus did is summed up, is explained so perfectly in the book of Romans, in Paul's letter to the Romans, which will be up on the screen. Romans chapter five, he says this. He says, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that middle part of that section. That it says, even if, uh, that, that, though, though for a good person, someone might even dare to die. Saying, you know, if we were all righteous, if we were all perfect, if we were all good, you could kind of get it. Like if someone was totally holy and righteous, you could kind of understand someone giving their life for them. But he's saying that's not what happened. Jesus didn't wait. God didn't wait to send his son until we got it all figured out, until we solved all our own issues, and then came down just to greet us because we're all holy. But he met us right in our brokenness, right in our unfaithfulness, right in our pain, right in our sinfulness. And he said, I'm not waiting for you to get it all together, but I'm coming here right in the midst of all of this. And that's grace. God didn't wait for us to become good. He came and met us right where we are, and he's coming and meeting you right where you are today. And so we do these things in response to God. But the thing about it is we don't don't respond because we have to. We respond out of desire, not obligation. We don't respond because Moses says in here, do these things, and so we say, okay, we have to because he says so. But if we genuinely understand what Jesus did, if we genuinely understand what God did in sending his son, we should want to respond. We should want to worship. If we truly can even wrap our heads around even a portion of what Jesus did, it should evoke a response in us. We do these things in response to what God did, in response to what Jesus did, not because we have to, but because we get to, because we're given the opportunity to. You know, we're, we're starting this new year off today, yesterday, moving into this new year today. Everyone last year wanted 2021 to be better than 2020. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what happened to you, everyone kind of saw 2020 as a pretty thumbs down year, right? And then I remember last year, New Year's Eve, moving into New Year's, everyone was looking forward to 2021. Everyone's like, we're done with that dumpster fire. It's ready to move on to 2021. Good, you know, brand new year. Things are going to be different. But how is 2021 any different than 2020? Now as we're moving out of 2021, how many people are saying the exact same thing? Oh, what a terrible year. Ready to be done with that. Get that behind us. 2022, fresh start. Here we go. Brand new year. Things are going to be great. But what in the world changed from today to two days ago? What changed from this week from last week? What's going to change from 2022 from 2021? The new year always feels time, feels like time for a fresh start. But in, if, if we're being honest, a fresh start doesn't come from things like setting resolutions. doesn't come from things like setting higher goals for yourself. doesn't come from things like making a new, a new accomplishment list, making sure you accomplish all these things this year. There's a reason that these fresh starts, so to speak, never actually last. It's because we're trying to depend on ourselves to make a change rather than depending on God. And so as we're launching into this new year, as we're looking at it, and regardless of where you are, it always looks like a fresh start and it feels like a fresh start. This is what I want us to remember this morning. It's that the new year can't give you a fresh start, but God can. The new year can't give you a fresh start. Nothing is different from today from a couple days ago. Nothing changes when that ball drops, when the clock ticks over 12.01. The new year cannot give you a fresh start. Only God can truly give you a fresh start. If we shift our focus to God, not on ourselves, this year will actually be different. 
Goals and resolutions, things like that are fine. I'm not trying to say don't have those things. I'm not trying to say you shouldn't create new habits for yourself or try and better yourself this year. It's fine. But the only way to truly see a difference in your life is to depend on God. Now, I want to be clear here. When I say that we should focus on God, when I say a fresh start comes from God, uh, a fresh start doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to be perfect. You could start off the new year doing these things we're talking about. You could focus on God this year, and we could get to the end of 2022. And from an outsider's perspective, it could look like the worst year of your life. From an outsider's perspective. You could have terrible things happen to you. You could get sick. You could have financial loss. You could be fully focused on God, but that does not mean everything else is going to magically happen. Uh, everything else is going to magically fall into place for you. But the reality is, if we spend this year focused on God, if we look to God for our fresh start, not look to ourselves, then the things that matter, our relationship with Jesus, those things will look different. Our lives will look different, just maybe not in an earthly way. Our eternal life will look different. Our relationship with Jesus will look different. God is the only way to a fresh start. Jesus is the only way to forgiveness. And to make a real change in our, in our year, in our lives, it starts with focusing on God, not on ourselves. Amen. And how do we do that? We go back to the Shema. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words I'm giving to you today are to be in your hearts. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let it be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Set up routines to orient your heart towards God. Make God a, a focus of your day, focus of your life. Worship in ways that make you uncomfortable. And we're going to have a chance to do that right now. Right now, we're going to have a, an opportunity to worship God in two different ways. First, we're going to worship God through confession, and then we're going to worship God through song. 